Today on the Matt Wall Show, the left has been sent into spasms of outrage because of a Florida bill which would prohibit public school teachers from talking to elementary schoolers about sexual orientation and gender identity. What kind of creep could possibly oppose a law like that? We'll find out today. Also, Canada descends into full-on totalitarianism, even as we're told that Putin is the greatest threat to the West. And scholars have discovered that diversity training doesn't actually achieve anything. So what's their answer? Well, to do more diversity training, of course. In our daily cancellation, we'll talk about the father of a 14-year-old TikTok star who shot and killed her stalker. That's the good news. The bad news is that this father allowed his 14-year-old daughter to be a TikTok star in the first place. We'll talk about all that and more today on The Matt Wall Show. You know, as inflation continues, it's important to keep your budget and your financial goals top of mind. Think about the things you can do today to come out ahead, like refinancing your mortgage. If it's not on your to-do list, it should be, because you could be paying a lot less for your home right now, and I know just the people to help. American Financing, a family-owned mortgage lender that's known for its custom home loans, and it's no-pressure approach to lending as well. From lower rates to shorter terms and even debt consolidation, they do whatever it takes to set you up for financial success. They can help you save up to $1,000 a month, plus tens of thousands long-term. So why not learn more? If you start soon, you may get to skip two payments as well, and you could close in as little as 10 days. So you start saving. You start saving very, very soon. Uh, nothing to lose. You might as well give them a call. If you want to do that, call 866-569-4711. That's 866-569-4711. Again, the phone number is 866-569-4711, or visit AmericanFinancing.net. American Financing. NMLS 182334, NMLSConsumerAccess.org. Though, you know, much can get lost amid the cacophony of perpetual phony outrage, and it can be hard to discern any one bit of outrage from any other, you've probably still noticed over the last few weeks that people on the left are very angry at Florida. And well, I mean, they're always angry at Florida. They're angry mostly that Florida is thriving while they live in gray, dreary cities covered in human feces and used heroin needles. So you can hardly blame them for being a bit envious. But the professed reason for all the anger towards Florida this time in recent days has been our particular piece of legislation called the Parental Rights and Education Bill. Now, even if you don't live in the state, it's worth tracking this story because much can be learned from it, I think, and especially from the reaction to this bill. So the law would bar schools from discussing sexual orientation and gender identity with kids in elementary school. And this has provoked volcanic fury from the left who have dubbed the legislation the don't say gay bill. They claim that this is, among other things, an attack on free speech. Of course, the idea that adults have the free speech right to have inappropriate sexual conversations with children is the kind of thing that you'd expect only pedophiles and perverts and predators to argue for. And you would be right. And it's easy enough to understand why gender identity shouldn't be discussed in elementary school. In fact, it shouldn't be discussed in any grade at any level because it's an incoherent, made-up concept invented not coincidentally, by a pedophile mad scientist named John Money, who you're well familiar with if you listen to this show. Gender identity is a religious doctrine. It's part of the left-wing creed. It has no basis in science or reality. Now, if a Christian public school teacher cannot stand in front of his class and declare that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, and all students should accept him into their hearts, then a leftist public school teacher should not be able to stand in front of his class and declare that boys can magically become girls if they believe it in their hearts. The left has for years shouted that we must keep religion out of the classrooms, but as it turns out, they only had certain religions in mind, which we've known for a while. But what about sexual orientation? 
Now, it's at least coherent and factually true to say that a person has sexual urges, which are generally oriented one way or another. In fact, um, John Money also coined the term sexual orientation. But at least in this case, there's, it's, it's, it's coherent. You understand what's being said. The question, though, is whether a government employee in the government education system would ever have any valid reason to talk to a nine-year-old about sexual urges. The answer to that question, obviously, is no. The left says that not only do these adults have good reason to talk about sexual urges with prepubescent children, but even that they, the adults, have a right to hold such discussions. To force them to refrain from talking about their sexual urges with children is to persecute them, we're told. Moreover, it deprives the children of something that they need, because children before the age of puberty somehow need to talk about a topic that they fundamentally won't be able to understand and which has nothing to do with any of the academic subjects that they're going to school to learn about. This is absurd for a lot of reasons, but the main one is that it goes the other way around. You aren't depriving children of something uh, they need by refraining from having inappropriate sexual conversations with them in elementary school. You're depriving them of something they need when you do have those conversations. Namely, you're depriving them of the innocence of childhood. Now, leftists, they, they actually will openly scoff at the very idea of the innocence of childhood. They don't recognize that there is any innocence of childhood because uh, along with being acolytes of John Money, even if they don't know they're acolytes of him, they're also acolytes of Alfred Kinsey and the other late 19th and early 20th century degenerates who claim that children are sexual from birth. Now, that's false, but it turns out that this was not a, that this was not a description. It was a proscription. Children are not naturally sexual from birth, but these quacks would try to change that. They wanted them to be, and they've been trying to change that fact ever since. And to prevent them from doing so, to prevent the adults from doing that, from sexualizing childhood, that is a personal attack against them, we're told, which should really tell you something, and so should this. Outrage was renewed over the weekend after a new amendment was added to the bill, which, according to all the headlines would require schools to, quote, out their students. Now, the idea of outing an elementary school student doesn't even really make any sense to begin with, but the way the headlines are written, it makes it sound like teachers are required to investigate a child's sexual preferences and then set off some kind of alarm, you know, pull an alarm and alert the whole building if a kid turns out to be gay. Yet investigating sexual preferences is exactly the sort of thing that the bill forbids That's what they're not supposed to be doing. So the framing doesn't really make any sense here. It turns out when critics say outing, what they mean is that schools are required to inform parents. And there's a difference there. So here's the article from The Hill. It says, a new amendment to Florida's don't say gay bill would require schools to inform parents of their children's sexual orientation within six weeks of learning that the student isn't straight. NBC affiliate WFLA reported on Monday. The amendment was filed Friday by the bill's co-sponsor, State Representative Joe Harding. The bill, which has gained national attention and pushback, bars educators in Florida from talking about sexual orientation or gender identity in primary schools. Parents would be able to take legal action against school districts that they believe have violated the measure. The original version of the legislation required schools to inform families of their child's LGBTQ plus status, but gave an option for exemption for the outing in cases where educators feared it could lead to abuse, neglect, or abandonment. The amendment offers no such exception. 
Yes, it offers no such exception because any such exception would guarantee that no school would ever tell any parent anything because they could always simply claim that they fear abuse at home. And this is especially true given that the left considers it abuse if a parent fails to accept that their son is really a girl or or that their girl is really a non-binary pansexual chipmunk or whatever. The point of this amendment is, is not that schools ought to be digging into a child's personal life and then reporting back to the parents. That's close to the opposite of the point. The point is simply that the schools, that would be the government institutions, should not know more about a child than his own parents do. I have a right to know what my child is doing at school, what he's saying, how he's behaving, how he's, quote, identifying. There should not be any secrets kept between students and teachers. There especially shouldn't be any sexual secrets kept between students and teachers. Only in a culture fully succumbed to madness could that concept be at all controversial. Now, the reason that parents should know this information is that they have a right to know. My child is my child. I have a right to this kind of knowledge about him, especially if it's knowledge that other people have about him. But the other reason is that teachers can't be trusted. And there are a great many examples that could be marshaled to prove this point, but here's just the latest. This is, I'll play for you a local news report out of a California school district about the sleeping arrangements at a recent science camp. Listen. Micah, the parents tell us that their children came home from camp. They were asking a lot of questions about gender and pronouns. The parents then reached out to the camp director, who told them that counselors, biological males who identify as they, them, are permitted to spend the night in cabins with the young girls. In the parking lot of Weaver Elementary School in Los Alamitos, a group of parents. No parent should feel the way I feel after knowing what could have happened to my daughter. Upset by the sleeping arrangements at a school-organized science camp. I contacted the school and I asked them if they were able to confirm that there was not a man actually sleeping in the same cabin as the girls. Uh, they were not able to confirm that. The parents say their fifth grade girls told them some of the biologically male counselors at Camp Pal in San Bernardino identified as they, them, and spent three nights sleeping in cabins with the young girls. They're asleep, they use the shower, they go to the restroom. Camp Pally confirms, per California state law, we place staff in cabins they identify with. Now, the uh, the parents would go on in that clip to, to stress that they're not, they're not accusing uh, the male adults, uh, the, the teachers of doing anything. They're just saying that they're uncomfortable with the sleeping arrangements. They're not making any specific accusations. Uh, they're, not, they're not claiming, for example, sexual abuse. But um, I think that they ought to claim sexual abuse because that is sexual abuse in and of itself. Even if, no, even if nothing else happened other than what we're being told. For male adults sleeping with 10-year-old girls, that is abusive sexually in and of itself, without the parents knowing. But they can do it because they identify as they, them. And this is supposed to make them less of a threat somehow? By some incoherent grammatical technicality, they discovered the right to have a slumber party with elementary school girls at science camp. The question is whether you trust these sorts of people 
to have sexual conversations with your children? Do you trust them to have secrets with your children? Do you trust them at all with anything? Well, obviously, you shouldn't. Now let's get to our five headlines. You know, with the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models and uh, everything else, it's impossible to stock all the parts you need in a traditional chain storefront for your car. So why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questions about your, the specifications of your vehicle, only to have the guy behind the counter, or counterman as he's called for whatever reason, order the parts on his computer anyway? There's no reason to do it. Cut out the middleman. You have access to rockauto.com at home, in your pocket. Just pull out your phone and go there. Why would you choose to spend 30%, 50%, 100% more for the exact same auto parts at a chain store or new car dealership? Uh, not only that, but you're paying more for, uh, for a, a lower, for a less, an inferior selection of, of items as well. RockAuto.com is a family business. They've been serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. You can go to RockAuto.com right now to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They have everything from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, even new carpet. Whether it's for your classic or your daily driver, they've got everything you need, and also they're going to deliver it directly to your door. The rockauto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. Quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the specifications you prefer. Best of all, again, prices at rockauto.com are very low. So go to rockauto.com right now and get their amazing selection and see all the parts available for your car truck. Write Walsh in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that we sent you. All right, so we had off, we had off for um, a President's Day. That's why you know we weren't here yesterday. I don't know why we had off for President's Day. President's Day is a is a stupid holiday. It, it, you know, it made sense when it was Washington's birthday, but then they expanded it to include all presidents, and it just lost its meaning because you know American presidents apparently are, are quite sensitive, and and we don't and they're needy. You know, they're like a, their own victim group, and we can't leave anybody out. We all we have to make sure that everybody's included. Um, we can't just celebrate Washington's birthday because then the other presidents are, are going to say, what about me? I want to be celebrated too. Wh- what about you? I'll tell you about you. A lot of the rest of you sucked. That's why you don't get your own holidays or you shouldn't anyway. I mean, why should we let somebody like Bill Epstein Clinton ride Washington's coattails to the holiday? It just doesn't make any sense. Uh, but now we're giving out participation trophies to, to presidents apparently, and uh, it's dumb, but I'll take the day off. That's, that's the lesson. Actually, they came to me last week, <clears throat> and they, uh, they actually asked me. They said, do you want to take the day off? Because everyone else is getting the day off. Do you want that day off also? And I said, uh, yeah. Well, like, what kind of person do you think I am? Of course I'll take the day off. If a day off, is, if a day off is on the table, I'll take it. I mean, eventually they'll declare you know, the official George Floyd Memorial federal holiday, and I won't like it, but I'll take that day off too. I'm a man of principle, and one of my principles is that there is no bad reason to take a three-day holiday. It's one of my primary principles in life, a guiding principle, I would say. All right, so <clears throat> after um, developments in Eastern Europe over the weekend, the war drums are beating even louder in the United States. Um, and when I say war drums are beating louder, I mean especially among the establishment, or really only among the establishment. Uh, that would be the media, the elites, the left, the um, I haven't met very many or any regular citizens who are anxious to send their children off to bleed on foreign soil in defense of some country 6,000 miles away. I think our appetite for those kinds of adventures has been considerably dulled over the last two decades. So I, I haven't really met anyone who actually wants to do that, but the media, the elites, the left, the neocons, um, their lust for war cannot be satiated, mostly because they're not the ones fighting the wars. 
they reap the benefits, but they pay none of the costs. And so in that case, especially if you're a soulless sociopath, it's easy to be in favor of it because you get all the benefits and none of the costs. Um, and so they make the case that your children should die to protect Ukraine's borders, even as these same people oppose so much as erecting a wall to protect our own border. That's reason enough right there to ignore everything they say about this. In fact, I think that should be the first question. Anytime anyone is telling you about what we should be doing to protect Ukraine's border, you should cut them off and say, well, what about our border? What do you think about that? And if they have any hesitation in saying that we should protect our own border, then just ignore them. Their opinion is not valid. But people who won't even utter the phrase American sovereignty now would happily plunge us into World War III for the sake of Ukrainian sovereignty. I have heard and, and seen people on social media who I, I, have, I have never heard these people ever talk about sovereignty as it relates to, to the United States. In fact, they would say that if you care about American sovereignty, you're a, you're a uh, you know, it's eth- ethnocentrism, it's nativism, it's white, you're a, a white nationalist. And yet these same people are, are talking about, oh, the right of Ukrainians to the, the sovereignty of their nation. There are lots of reasons to disregard what these people say, but I think this, their, their pathological hypocrisy is definitely one of them. Another reason is that we have major problems of our own in this country. And that's not what aboutism. And even if it is, by the way, there's nothing wrong with a what about argument. It's like actually a very valid Only in this stupid day and age do we consider it inherently fallacious to make an argument that starts with the phrase, what about? But this is actually an important thing to point out here. If anyone is advocating something that could lead us into war, into a major war, um, I I think it's valid to say, well, yeah, but there, there are other problems that we need to be addressing. And this might detract from our ability to address those other issues. So, our cities look like third world countries, our borders, our civs, our own, our own sovereignty is threatened, our freedoms are being erased, our children are under attack, as we discussed in the opening. Our civilization is actually imploding. So excuse me if I don't give much of a damn right now about Ukraine. And we also have, along with everything else, um, our own fascist dictator right across our own border. And that would be Justin Trudeau. So here's from the Daily Wire, the latest on this. Ottawa Police Chief Steve Bell said during a press conference over the weekend that Canadian law enforcement officials would continue cracking down on those who participate in the trucker protests well after the protests have ended. The revelation came in response to a reporter asking if there were going to be repercussions down the road for the protesters, even if they'd retreated and gone home. And the answer was yes. Let's listen to that um, answer from the police chief now. Hello, I'm Andy Lee. I'm uh, from Independent Media. So I was in the crowd yesterday. Um, I was unfortunately uh, hit with some pepper spray. I just have a question. Uh, there's some video cameras that the police are using and uh, some news outlets are reporting that you're gathering intelligence with those cameras. Can you elaborate, like, if the protesters at this point, uh, you know, uh, retreat and go home, uh, are they going to be getting sort of repercussions down the road? Or are you going to be sort of actively pursuing the people that you've been sort of documenting and filming who are still out there protesting. What are your plans after this, uh, after the protest is over? Thank you. It's a great question. And the simple answer is yes. 
If you are involved in this protest, we will actively look to identify you and follow up with financial sanctions and criminal charges. Absolutely. We, we, this investigation will go on for months to come. It has many, many different streams, both from a federal uh, financial level, from a provincial licensing level, from a criminal code level, from a municipal breach of court order, breach of court injunction level. It will be a complicated and time-consuming um, investigation that will go on for a period of time. You have my commitment that that investigation will continue and we will hold people accountable for taking our streets over. Hold them accountable. Long after it's done, going to hunt them down. We're, we're familiar with this. Um, we've seen similar things play out in the United States. Um, against right-wing protesters, of course, not against BLM, not against left-wing protesters who hold in, held entire cities hostage for months on end, burned down buildings, everything else, attacked police officers, um, nothing like this. But we've seen it against the right-wing protesters. And uh, we're going to see it in Canada. And one of the reasons is that um, these people are all, you know, on, on top of being uh, dangerous right-wing radicals, we're told they're also uh, Nazis. So here's Canadian MP Yara Sachs. And uh, she has uncovered kind of a, a code, a message, some symbolism hidden within this protest. And um, anyway, let's, let's listen to her explain it. How much vitriol do we have to see of Hong Kong, which is an acronym for Hail Hitler, do we need to see by these protesters on social media? My God. First of all, it's Heil Hitler, not Hail Hitler. And also, that's not what an acronym, that's not what the word acronym means. Honk Honk is an acronym for Heil Hitler. This is how desperate they are um, after the fact. But we also know what the crackdown itself, uh, we, sh we should know that the crackdown itself, you know, began before this when they sent cops in to disperse the protesters. And at one point, uh, maybe you've seen this video, but we'll play it again if you haven't seen it. The um, cops on horseback started trampling the protesters. Let's play this. Just going right over top of them, trampling right over top oh, of the protesters. Come on through. Not making any attempt at all to go around them. Wow. Right through the crowd. What is this lady doing? Trampling. Trampling horses. Trampling. I think multiple people. Oh, there you go. Right over the top. Now, important to note that these people, they didn't, like, dive in front of the horse, which would be a really stupid thing to do. They were already standing there, and the cops said, we're just going to go right over top of it. And they know that they can get away with it. Um, nothing like that. They couldn't possibly get away with anything like that if these were left-wing protesters. But in this case, they, they can, and they have. No accountability whatsoever. This is why, you know, going back to the, the Putin and Russia situation... <clears throat> I've seen a lot of people saying that, hey, you know, the United States, we need to be uh, the leaders of the free world. And that's why we have to step up to the plate and defend Ukraine against this ruthless dictator, because that's our, um, that's our calling. That's our vocation as the leaders of the free world. And I've seen this phrase written, you know, many times over the last few days as it relates to Russia. <clears throat> But I see that and I think, well, what do you mean? Leaders of the free world? Where, where is that exactly? Who, who lives in the free world right now? I mean, Canadians certainly don't. Is that what the free world looks like? 
Where if you engage in a protest, they're going to trample you under horses and then freeze your bank accounts and hunt you down and punish you. That's what the free world is. If that's the free world, then there is no free world anymore. Now, you can make an argument that the uh, free world uh, had basically ceased to exist before COVID, but certainly now, now two years into this, after the free world has shown the ability and the willingness to shut down all, all freedoms, all liberty, um, you know, including closing churches, ending uh, your First Amendment rights, any, any of your rights could just go out the window if they claim that they have an excuse to do it. And, and, and their excuse for tossing our freedoms out the window, it's the same excuse used by every tyrant in history. Nothing new about this. Oh, it's for your good. It's for this. It's for your safety. It's to keep you safe. It's the same thing every tyrant in history literally has said. While they're trampling under your, trampling your your freedom freedoms and sometimes your skulls, under uh, their foot and their hoof. So after the last two years, especially, I, I, I'm not sure where the free world exists, but I don't see how we're the representatives of it anymore. Um, and that's all the more reason why it's kind of absurd to argue that we should plunge ourselves into World War III for the sake of defending the free world. <laughs> where, where is that? What is that? Um, okay, moving on. While, while all this is happening and uh, we're told that you know, we are potentially on the cusp of a, of a major global conflict, let's see what our leaders in this country are up to. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, uh, she decided to put this on Instagram Live over the weekend because she's, she's a little bit stressed out by, by everything going on. And uh, it's, just, it's very stressful to be in Congress for some reason, even though you only work like five weeks out of the year and everything else. But um, she's very stressed out about it. And so she decided to film herself dunking her head into ice water for whatever reason. Let's watch that. Ready when you are. <laughs> okay. Five... Good job, good job. Am I supposed to do it again? Yeah, you're supposed to keep doing it. Really? How long? (laughs) Like multiple sets. Okay. Go for as long as you can. I believe she live streamed this. Two, one. All right. You know, uh, last time I was on Tucker, I said something about how, you know, we can't underestimate the fact or uh, understate the fact that, w- that we're being led by really stupid and, and unimpressive people. And he made the point that um, it, it's, it's actually a really good thing that they're so stupid. Because can you imagine? We, we've seen the kind of damage that they can cause being dumb tyrants. But if they were actually smart, if these were evil geniuses... Can you imagine the situation we'd be in right now? So, I mean, you got to look for silver lining wherever you can find it. And so I, I'm choosing to find to see that as silver lining. That this is how dumb these people are. At least they're dumb. You got to give them that at least. From the Daily Wire, it says, Scholars recently admitted to Forbes that annual diversity, equity, and inclusion, DEI trainings, aren't very effective. And that the solution should be more woke ideology. The College, college Fix reported that Quote, traditional anti-discrimination trainings conducted on an annual basis aren't sufficient, and studies show it. But instead of looking for reasons why the training isn't actually effective and that perhaps the content needs to be changed or presented another way, those scholars insisted that people simply must be subjected to the training more often. 
The Forbes article explained that, quote, a lack of understanding regarding issues like the bamboo ceiling. What? The bamboo ceiling. Um, hair discrimination. Tone policing. Colorism, which I guess is supposed to be distinct from racism. I don't know. And experiences of first-generation professionals inhibits an organization's ability to cultivate inclusive spaces. I feel like I have to read that again because I didn't understand what I just read. And it probably won't be any better the second time. But lack of understanding regarding issues like the bamboo ceiling, hair discrimination, tone policing, colorism, and the experiences of first-generation professionals inhibits an organization's ability to cultivate inclusive spaces. Oh, okay. Yeah, I still don't understand. Um, Donna Dockery, a DEI expert and adjunct professor at Hunter College, told Forbes that annual training ends up with situations where, quote, the people who usually need it the most and usually the ones who, who uh, are usually the ones who do not value it and don't show up. Dockery then argued that once a year was not enough for these trainings. They're also commonly done once a year or reactive to something bad, which comes off as disingenuous. Dockery added, Make your DEI efforts a priority. Make it a part of your annual budget. It should be ingrained in your work activities. These trainings need to be ongoing. So they're doing these, uh, well, first of all, hold on. I got to look up bamboo ceilings. I don't even know what that is. I'm, I'm going to guess. I'm afraid to even guess. Because if I'm wrong, I'll be accused of racism. But I'm going I'm to guess this is some sort of anti-Asian discrimination. I'm going out on a limb and guessing that's what it is. Um, and okay, good. Yeah, that's what it is. Um, the term bamboo ceiling was coined in 2005 by Jane Hoon in Breaking the Bamboo Ceiling, Career Strategies for Asians. This is according to Wikipedia, by the way, my number one source for everything, where she addresses the barriers faced by many Asian Americans in the professional arena, such as stereotypes and racism, while also providing solutions to overcome these barriers. The bamboo ceiling, as defined by Jane Hoon, is a combination of individual, cultural, and organizational factors that impede Asian Americans' career progress inside organizations. Are you kidding me? Now, if you wanted to tell me that the bamboo ceiling is affirmative action, which penalizes Asian Asians, especially Asian students, for being so gifted and so hardworking, <clears throat> and then you have institutions saying, oh, we don't need as many Asians because we need more of other races— so if that's the bamboo ceiling you're talking about, then, um, then fine, I'll, I'll go along with that. I, I, I think I'd probably prefer a different term than bamboo ceiling, but if that's what you want to call it, that's not what they're saying, though. Um, it, it doesn't sound like this is like they're singling out affirmative action as the problem. They're saying that this is, this is like a systemic racism thing where Asians are being prevented from achieving career success. <laughs> what in the world? In, in America, you think that's happening? Asians have the, the, the number one median income on average. If you were to rank average income by race, Asians are at the top above white families. Um, Asians are, you know, one of the great success stories in this country. They're vastly overrepresented in fields like medicine and engineering. And if, if we can still claim that even Asians are, the, are, are somehow being suppressed by this systemic racism, again, unless we're talking about affirmative action, which they aren't. But putting that aside, um, if even Asians, an enormous success story in this country, now are also victims and uh, are, are running up against some sort of ceiling, and supposedly their ceiling is even harder to break through than anybody else's. 
Because at least women have a glass ceiling. Now, you could bust through that pretty easily. You might want to put a helmet on. But a bamboo, you're going to have trouble busting through that. Yet there's a bamboo ceiling, and yet Asians do fantastically well in this country. They do better than anybody. And yet there's still a ceiling stopping them. No, okay. Um, But overall, we're being told that uh, they've noticed at least, so they got halfway there. They've noticed that they're doing all this DEI training, and uh, it's not achieving anything at all. It's not helping anything. And, uh, but their solution, of course, as always, is just to do more of the thing that isn't working and also to make it mandatory in the land of the free, remember. Because they have noticed that, uh, yeah, well, if you make it vol- voluntary, then the only people who will voluntarily subject themselves to this are the ones who are already brainwashed. No one else is going to sit through it. And so now you have to force them to do it. And so do it more, make it mandatory. It's not working. That's, that's the problem they've identified. And the solution, do it more and make it mandatory. Great idea. Uh, from Breitbart, it says, Former President Donald Trump's social media app that he hopes will rival Twitter launched on Monday as he seeks a new digital stage to rally his supporters and fight big tech limits on speech. A year after he was banned from Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube, his Truth Social app was uh, offered for download from the Apple App Store to a limited number of subscribers who had pre-ordered Others who were added to a waiting list are to be given access over the next 10 days. Uh, apparently, there was, you know, apparently there was a, uh, some problems with the launch. And so most of the headlines about this are gloating over the fact that, um, that the website went down or something when they were launching it. And I'm not going to gloat over that, obviously, because I think it's, good, it's, it's a good thing to try to attempt so I can admire that. And any, any of these attempts to create an alternative platform to Twitter, uh, we need people like Donald Trump to do that. We need people who have the money and the resources and also have the, it helps for him that he, that he has the, um, the name recognition, obviously. He's like the most famous person in the world. So he's, if, if anyone can make it work from a branding perspective, you'd think it would be him and maybe it will work. I hope it does. My only issue, and I say this as someone who I haven't used Truth Social, and I didn't get an invite myself. I wasn't one of the VIP invitations, so I haven't seen it. All I've seen is some of the screenshots and everything. And from the look of it, it would appear that Truth Social is um, like pretty much every other right-wing alternative to Twitter. It's it's based on Twitter. It's just it's trying to make the right-wing version of Twitter. And as I've been saying for for months, it's just that's not going to work. You, you, no matter how much money you have or how much brand credibility or name recognition, you're not going to be able to out-Twitter Twitter because they've been doing it for a long time. They've got billions of dollars. You're not going to be able to make a better version of Twitter. What you should do instead is make something else entirely. And so the one thing that's been, and it's a major thing, but the one thing that's been lacking from all of these attempts at making a kind of right-wing answer to Twitter is uh, innovation, creativity. You know, there's nothing innovative about it. And so that's my first question anytime I hear about one of these new platforms is, well, what's different about it? What, what's the innovation? How is the experience, you know, actually substantively different? And uh, so far, the answer has been, well, it really isn't. Maybe that's different with Truth Social. From what I've seen, it doesn't seem to be, but, but you know, I hope that that will change. Okay, finally, Bill Gates um, continues to be, for whatever reason, trotted out as, a, as an expert 
on uh, COVID. And so here he is at the Munich Security Conference over the weekend talking about masking. Let's listen. What about masks? I think there are a lot of people in America who are confused about whether they should be wearing a mask. And in the United Kingdom, for example, they've scrapped that altogether. Well, that's interesting. You know, what is the downside of wearing a mask? I mean, it's got to be tough. You know, you have to wear pants. Uh, I mean, this is tough stuff. These societies are so cruel. Why do they make you wear pants? I'm trying to figure it out. Uh, <laughs> We're very glad you have yours on. Um, uh, that will be on the web. Uh-oh. For sure, will be on the web. <laughs> they're still using that line, and they're, and they're never going to abandon it. It's, well, it's just like wearing pants. And he's so, for whatever reason, because this, this scumbag... And he really is. But for some reason, he's, he's a software salesman, basically. And, uh, but yet he's brought on to talk about COVID. No one's ever explained why. All this emphasis on, oh, we got to listen to the experts. Listen, how is he an expert? What, what, are, what is his area of expertise exactly? How does it relate to COVID and viruses and vaccines? Um, but he's still up there laughing at the idea. Oh, what's, what's the problem with wearing masks? Well, if you were to take a second and do, you know, I don't know, a minute of research, Bill Gates, you you would discover that there are a lot of significant problems that are being suffered primarily by kids. And so developmental delays, uh, depression, all this kind of thing, all, all these kinds of things. That's that's one of the problems. But to Bill Gates with his billions of dollars, it's all it's all quite hilarious. So we can have a good laugh about it. Great. Let's get now to our comment section. Do you know their name? They're the sweet baby gang. Okay, dailywire.com slash sweet baby comments if you want to leave a video comment. Let's start with uh, seven. Was it seven A? Hey, Google. I'm straight. I'm sorry to hear that. I think you're awesome and you are not alone. I hope I can be an ally to you and there is help if you need it. Hey, Google. I'm gay. Thank you for telling me. Being true to who you are is a beautiful thing. Do you have what you need to live your identity fully? Yes. You're awesome and beautiful. What's not to love? <laughs> live life proudly. That, is, that, is that real? So that's Google. That, well, that's Google's version of Siri or whatever. And if you say, I'm straight, it will answer, I'm sorry to hear that. I need other people to test that. I need, I need that to be confirmed. Because that's kind of, that's a story right there. We're, we're breaking news in the comment section from a sweet member of the Sweet Baby Gang on the Matt Wall Show. Um, so I need to, here we go. What is this? And this is, this is the Google Assistant. This is the transcript. Said, I'm gay. Thank you for telling me. Okay, so that's the transcript. All right, other people, if you have this Google Assistant thing, uh, try it out for yourself. Confess your sexual orientation to Google if you feel like doing that. And uh, let me know. Let me know what the results are. All right. Um, let's go to clip nine. Ma'am, that's just a boy with wood spoons in his mouth. But if I believe that, they'll say I'm a phobic. Protecting your son, ma'am. That's most heroic. Thank you, Matt Walsh, for writing this book that I can share with my son. We hope that you write others that we can add to our collection. SDG for life. Well, thank you, ma'am, for uh, making sure to indoctrinate the kids very young 
A six-month-old, you know, it looks like he's about six months old. I could tell that he was really into it. He understood what was going on. And if you want to get your copy of Johnny the Walrus, you go to johnnythewalrus.com and uh, order it today from, uh, from Amazon and get the LGBT children's book best-selling sensation if you have not gotten it yet. All right, let's go uh, to Laura. Says, thanks, Matt. Because of you, my husband now walks around the house saying he identifies as brilliant and handsome. Well, I'm humbled to know that I've inspired uh, your husband and so many others to live their truth and embrace their identity. So thank you for telling me that. Um, Mick says, you've always been a back the blue type, but do the events in Canada make you rethink your loyalty to the police at all? Well, first of all, I certainly wouldn't describe it as loyalty to the police. Um, loyalty is something that I have to my family, to my wife, you know, uh, not to government employees. So that's, that's not the word that I would use. But does it make me rethink broadly my support for police in general? No, it doesn't. Um, number one, this, this, these are, this did happen in Canada, so it does seem you know, sort of unfair to blame American police for that. Although we've seen, we've seen scenes not quite that bad as it, as it pertains to COVID, but almost as bad. We've seen that happen in the United States as well. There's no doubt about that. So how do I respond to that? Well, the police involved in that kind of thing, in crushing people's civil liberties, in um, hunting down and punishing, you know, people who haven't done anything wrong, who are just expressing their rights, you know, those police deserve to be held accountable and deserve all the scorn coming their way. And they absolutely cannot hide behind the, uh, well, I'll just, I'm following orders, I, I have to do it or I'll lose my job. I believe that. I believe if you're sent out and told to tamp down this protest of, of people who are tired of the COVID tyranny, if you, if you refuse it, you'll lose your job. I, I could believe that. But there are times in life that call for courage, and this is one of those times. And if you fail to heed the call, then you're a coward. So that's my response to police to do that. But does it mean that um, I don't support police in general? No, because I, I don't even know what that means exactly. You know, the people who are cr critical of police in general, and I've seen even some people on the right, especially over the weekend, in response to this, to what was happening in Canada, say, oh, you know, I'm not back the blue anymore. I don't support police. Well, what, what's the other option? I mean, I, I assume you agree that there needs to be, we need to have laws. You know, we don't, we don't, we don't want to embrace anarchy. We see what anarchy looks like. We've, we, we get a taste of that in cities across the country with DAs who, well, there is a law, but they don't enforce it. And so it's anarchy. And I assume that that's not the situation you want across the entire country. So we need to have laws. And uh, as long as we have laws, they need to be enforced. Because again, we know what it looks like when they're not enforced. You might as well not even have the law. Which means we need law enforcement officers, people who are in charge of enforcing the law. When they do the wrong thing, again, we should criticize them heavily. Hold them accountable. But we still need people to do that job. And the ones who sign up to do it, I mean, it's not a job I want to do, especially in this environment. So it's a job that I recognize must be done. And no one has ever suggested an alternative. All the defund the police, everything. Uh, no one has ever said, what's the alternative? If we don't have police, what do we have instead? No one's ever been able to answer that question. Any attempt to answer it has been absurd, laughable. They're the ones who talk about, oh, we have social workers responding. When there's a shooting, we'll send the social workers and therapists in there to make sure everybody's uh, uh, doing okay psychologically. <clears throat> it's absurd. 
because there is no alternative. So I recognize that it's a job that needs to be done. It's a job I sure as hell don't want to do. And so, yeah, I appreciate the people who are signing up to do the job that needs to be done and I don't want to do. I think most of them try to do it well, and, um, and so I support them. The, the ones who abuse that authority, I do not. That, that's kind of how I, how I break it down. It's not very complicated. Um, let's see. J.J. Mack says, I'm late to the show. Sorry. You made a point about victimless crime when it relates to transgender sports. If the women speak up, they could lose their scholarships. Um, you don't think that's why they're not speaking up more? Well, I'm sure that's why. I mean, it goes back to the situation with the police. Yeah, if you try to do the right thing, you're going to suffer consequences. And that's the case for everybody, no matter your station in life. That's just, it's always been the case in life, especially these days. But if you are determined to do the right thing in any situation, there can always be consequences. And the more dire the situation, the more dire the potential consequences. But that's, that's what courage is for. We can't just give up on courage. You know, if we're saying that, oh yeah, we expect people to do the right thing unless it's difficult and they might suffer consequences for doing it, then what you're saying is we don't actually expect anyone to do the right thing because doing the right thing when it's not difficult and there are no consequences, well, anybody could do that. So yes, um, I, I fully believe that uh, girls who refuse to take part in this charade, they could suffer consequences. I still expect them to speak up because it's the right thing. And especially if you want us to care about women's sports and you're in women's sports and you want us to defend women's sports, well, then you're, you have to defend it also. You're in it. You're the closest to it. If you won't defend it, then, then why should I? And the other thing is that, yeah, if one or two um, women speak up against this, we know what will happen to them because some women have spoken up and they get, they get just dev- devoured right? Um, the hounds descend and rip them to pieces. But if, if all the women, or even half of them, or even like a, a, a solid, large minority were to speak up and refuse to participate, then um, you know, they can't all suffer the consequences. So, <clears throat> or the institutions could try to make them all suffer consequences, but they won't be able to sustain it. Let's see. Uh, Manic Pixie Fangirl says, okay, yeah, maybe a bill of rights for dogs and cats seems silly and extreme, but we can't go on allowing the types of abuses perpetrated on these animals to continue without consequences. Some of us conservatives are animal lovers too. This was a really weird take and not a hill to die on, in my opinion. Now, wait a second, Pixie Fangirl. California has a bill that claims dogs and cats have a God-given right to live in comfort and luxury. That was part of the bill. And that this right only extends to, to domesticated dogs and cats and no other animals? And I'm the one with the weird take? If you say so. America is under attack and the threat is coming from within. That's why we're exposing just who is destroying American institutions and why. The Enemy Within began streaming exclusively at the Daily Wire last week and features acclaimed journalist and expert in national threats, Lee Smith, as he uncovers a political coup orchestrated by America's ruling elites to generate their own wealth and power at the expense of the American people's safety and freedom. The groundbreaking first episode should be required watching for every American affected by the COVID regulations, which is in fact everybody. In it, Smith reveals shocking details about 
Both Anthony Fauci's role in hiding critical information from the American people, as well as the unanswered questions surrounding the origins of the virus. Check out the trailer here. What if everything we think we know about our leaders, our society, and our relations with the rest of the world is wrong? America is facing two major challenges. One is the Chinese Communist Party. However, the most significant threat comes from within. You're trying to obscure responsibility for four million people dying around the world. Okay. Senator Paul, you do not know what you are talking about. We've already seen evidence of how the elites want to run the United States. They're modeling themselves after Chinese autocracy. For over a decade, the People's Republic of China has stood publicly accused of acts of cruelty and wickedness that match the cruelty and wickedness of medieval torturers and executioners. Diane Feinstein had a Chinese spy as her driver for 20 years. We're not talking about one person infiltrating senior levels at the CIA or the White House. We're talking about an entire elite class throughout the political, corporate, academic, cultural, and media establishment. My name is Lee Smith. I've been a journalist for more than 30 years. This is the most astonishing espionage and infiltration operation in history. What you're going to see in this series will shock you. This is The Enemy Within. The Enemy Within is streaming now exclusively to Daily Wire, so if you're not a member, now's the time to change that. Head to dailywire.com slash subscribe to join us today. And also, you know, there are many excellent books too controversial for your average publisher, but not the Daily Wire. That's why we've started our own publishing wing called DW Books. We're proud to be publishing two books that are actively fighting the left's monopoly on storytelling. The first is 12 Seconds in the Dark by Sergeant Mattingly. The book is the true story of what really happened the night of the tragic Breonna Taylor shooting. Mattingly, a 20-year police veteran, takes readers inside his department's response and debunks the lies that have recklessly been shared with the public. DW Books is also publishing Fiery But Mostly Peaceful by Julio uh, Rosas, who pulls back the curtain and sets the record straight on the Black Lives Matter riots that broke out across the country in 2020. Rosas, who was uh, reporting from the ground, gives his firsthand experience at the riots and exposes the media's attempts to convince Americans that the fatal and destructive riots were somehow peaceful. I'm so grateful to have these brave truth tellers on board, and I uh, can't wait for you to hear their stories. Both are available for pre-order now on Amazon or anywhere you buy books. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. You know, for most of the history of human civilization, before TV, before movies, before media, before the internet, every country or society would produce only a very few famous people. You, know, you had to achieve something or be someone of incredible significance to earn fame. So the famous were all kings and conquerors and explorers and all that sort of thing. Each generation would have maybe a famous artist or two, maybe a writer, a philosopher, an inventor, an innovator. So fame was a very rare commodity. And famous people belonged to an extremely small and exclusive club. For everybody else on earth, fame was basically unattainable. And I imagine that most people didn't spend a lot of time trying to think of ways to attain it because the average person was known only by the people that they knew. And the idea of being known by lots of people you don't know, which we might call the definition of fame, would probably not have seemed terribly desirable to the average person during this time. But 
Um, then TVs came along in Hollywood and the media, and the ranks of the famous swelled considerably. Suddenly, you didn't have to do anything significant to achieve fame. You just had to be good at pretending to do significant things. That glowing box in the living room gave you a window through which you could peer voyeuristically, and the people on the other side of that screen were all famous because although they knew they were being watched, they didn't know most of the people who were watching them. This made fame a little bit more attainable, um, and, and yet still only a relative handful would ever attain it. But it did make fame much more desirable, even for those who would never attain it, because the non-famous were spending so much of their lives watching the famous and envying the fake lives they lived inside that box. And then the internet came along, and social media close behind it. Fast forward a generation, and now a measure of fame can be had by anybody with a Twitter or TikTok or Instagram account. We're all famous now to one degree or another. We are all known by people who we do not know. We present ourselves as objects to be viewed and we hope envied. Some portion of people will experience a greater amount of this kind of fame, but nobody is required to achieve anything or be anyone or do anything or have any skill whatsoever to be famous anymore. You don't have to be a conqueror or a king. You don't even have to be a decent actor. You just have to offer yourself up as a spectacle and others have to take you up on your offer, even if it's never quite clear why they find your offer appealing. This is just one of the, one of the myriad reasons why kids should be kept off, of, kept off of social media, because although they might deeply desire to make their lives into a spectacle for public consumption, that desire is not healthy. And we should do everything we can to prevent them from fulfilling it for as long as we can. Because there are a lot of downsides to fame. But those downsides used to be balanced by the fact that at least the famous people were all, by definition, talented and accomplished. Modern society, however, provides the opportunity to experience the downside of fame without any of the upside. A lot of mediocre people become famous for no good reason and then are promptly consumed by this fame that they never earned or had any business experiencing. It's kind of the equivalent of lottery winners who are destroyed by their wealth much more quickly and more consistently than people who earn their fortune through skill and hard work. Paraphrasing Jeff Goldblum in Jurassic Park, the lottery winner has wealth, but it didn't require any discipline to attain it. And the same could be said for fame on the internet. We're all sort of attentional lottery winners. We all get much more public attention than we really warrant, and it didn't require any discipline to attain that attention. And that, after a long preamble, brings us to the subject of our daily cancellation. As the Daily Wire reports, quote, the ex-cop father of a 14-year-old American girl who has over 1 million followers as a TikTok star shot and killed an 18-year-old boy who stalked his daughter and had traveled hundreds of miles to her home where he fired a shot through the family's front door. The father was not charged under Florida's Stand Your Ground law. Ava Majory, 14, whose videos show her singing, dancing, or pulling pranks, noticed in early 2020 that one of her followers, Eric Rohan Justin, 18 of Ellicott City, Maryland, was becoming obsessed with her, messaging her in Snapchat and on Instagram, and even joining online games that she played with her brothers, according to the New York Times. Ava initially responded to Justin, as she did with other fans, but learned that he was buying her personal information, including her cell phone number, from her friends in New Jersey and Florida, and then he would call and text her with the number. Okay, now to be clear, we're not canceling Ava because she's only 14, certainly can't be blamed for any of this. We also aren't canceling Eric Rohan Justin because he's dead anyway, and it would be kind of redundant. His cancellation has already been handled, it would seem. Instead, we're canceling Ava's parents. Now, her dad should be commended for shooting the predator, but, but that's really where the commendation ends. 
Aside from that one bright spot, her parents have played a, a pretty dark role in this story, as we'll see. Continuing. It says, Ava's parents allowed her to sell Mr. Justin a couple of selfies that she had already posted to Snapchat. The Times noted, continuing, after that, Mr. Justin messaged Ava on Venmo with a breakdown of what he would pay for, uh, booty pics and photos of her feet, quote unquote, stuff that a 14-year-old shouldn't be sending, she said. She blocked him on all her accounts. In Venmo, uh, messages viewed by the Times, Mr. Justin pleaded with her to unblock him. Mr. Mar- Mr. Madry, the father, said he texted Mr. Justin's cell phone, told him that Ava was a minor, and demanded that he stop contacting her. Now, you've hopefully already noticed a number of red flags where the parents are concerned, starting with the very fact that Ava is a 14-year-old TikTok star. There's no such thing as a 14-year-old TikTok star with good parents. But we haven't even gotten to the biggest red flag of all yet. Back to the article. It says, since the incident, Michael Marino, an entertainment lawyer, created AGM Creations for Ava. She is now represented by Washington lawyer Lonnie Davis and his public relations firm. Ava is still on social media, and her parents support the idea. Her mother claimed that she did not want Ava to be forced off by sick individuals, saying, why should we allow them to stop her? Maybe she's meant to bring awareness to all this. Ava said that at night she has doubts about continuing on social media, but by the mornings, quote, I thought of all the benefits. Most people would say the money, and yeah, it's a huge benefit, but it's the experience. I got to go to LA, the people that I met. Just being able to make other people smile is what I like. The enjoyment of seeing the impact I make on people's lives. I post a video at night, close my eyes, in the morning, it's exciting to see how how many views I get. Rob Madry echoed, quote, it's like Christmas every day because then you see it build. I think we just had to allow her to make a decision and sort of support her. I think it's going to help her heal. It sounds corny, but I don't know what else you could do for it. Okay, sure, Dad. Your adolescent daughter has been traumatized by the experience of a gun-toting, psychopathic TikTok fan blowing her front door open with a shotgun, and the way to help her heal is to allow her to make more TikTok videos? Now, let's back up and review the whole scene for a second. A 13-year-old girl wants to open a TikTok account. Her parents allow it. She begins amassing a huge army of male followers who all enjoy watching her dance. Her parents continue to support it. An adult male stalker takes a very special interest in the girl, and her parents parents allow her to sell pictures of herself to this person. Then that same individual shows up at the house with a shotgun. The dad dispatches him, his one good act in the whole story, and immediately allows his daughter to get back on TikTok and continue building her brand, now with a lawyer and a PR firm behind her. Now, Ava says that she, she wants to continue because the good outweighs the bad. What's the bad? Well, for one, violent stalkers trying to murder her. That's that's one bad thing. What's the good? Um, Well, she likes seeing how many views she gets on her videos. There there would seem to be something very wrong with Ava's scale, and I know what's wrong with it. She's 14. No 14-year-old can appropriately weigh the good against the bad and consistently make reasonable decisions based on that calculation. I couldn't at that age. That's why the child needs her parents to view the situation from a vantage point that is inaccessible to her. They're supposed to be bigger and not just physically, able to see farther down the road. But all these parents can see, it would seem, are dollar signs. And and that makes them especially gross and negligent, but compared to other parents who let their young children pursue social media fame, they're worse only by degree, not by kind. Though today we're focused just on them, and to them we must say, you are both canceled. And we'll leave it there for today. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Godspeed.
Well, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Wall Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Production manager, Pavel Vodowski. The show is edited by Robbie Dantzler. Our audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is done by Cherokee Hart. And our production coordinator is McKenna Waters. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2022. Today on The Ben Shapiro Show, Vladimir Putin declares two separatist-controlled regions of Ukraine independent and sends in the troops. And the Biden administration backs away from harsh sanctions. That's today on The Ben Shapiro Show. Give it a listen. Mm-hmm.